Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Miesler, and this show provides content curation as a service with a focus on the intersection of security, technology, and humans. I spend between 5 and 20 hours a week consuming books, articles, and podcasts, and each episode is either a curated summary of what I've discovered in the past week or a standalone essay that hopefully gives you something to think about. All right, this is a standalone edition of Unsupervised Learning, where I do explorations of single ideas, have guests on the show, and other sort of experimental content. And today I have my friend Jeremiah Grossman, who many of you will know as the founder of White Hat Security, current CEO of BitDiscovery, Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt, and all-around great individual. In this episode, however, we're not going to be talking about information security at all, but actually politics. We have remarkably different, however, somehow similar views on politics, which we've been discussing in private for years. We thought now was the perfect time to show that it's possible to disagree with someone, in our case, in a pretty strong way, still respect them and have a great conversation about those disagreements in a positive and useful way. This is the first experiment of this kind on unsupervised learning, and I'm quite pleased with how it turned out. So with that, here is Jeremiah Grossman. Welcome to the conversation. Uh, I think this is uh, about to be super needed going into 2020. Uh, I, I think honest conversation with people who you have good faith with is, is super important. Definitely thanks for doing this. I think you're right. And it's my pleasure. And uh, yeah, it's like, I think like, a, l- a little bit of debate, meeting of the minds, and trying to get to the truth of the matter is, yeah, it's kind of lost in uh, contemporary society a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really think uh, the amount of honest conversation that's been happening, at least in the mainstream, is just there hasn't been much. Because what happens is anyone slightly says something the wrong way or in a way that could be interpreted if you had bad faith could be interpreted in a bad way they just jump on it and and just really just really attack and and i think it's just super harmful um i wonder why that happened i mean i mean it's either we try to get at the truth of the matter or we're just trying to you know catch people making a flub like (laughs) yeah just weird yeah, it really is. Um, I, I think so. To give a little bit of background, this this conversation is not going to be about security. Uh, you hear um, you hear us, and especially Jeremiah, you're like, "Oh, we're about to have the coolest technical security conversation ever." <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so so I think we've known each other for 16 years. Um, we, we've had a number of different sort of uh, relationship interactions. So, so like I, I was a perspective customer, I think yeah, 2003. Yeah. Yeah. 2003. And then, uh, then uh, like vendor, we were competitors at one point and uh, just friends over the years. And then uh, and I think the way this conversation sort of happened is we've, not had anything like actually set up like this, but at the bloggers meetup for probably 10 years or so, every few years we would have a solid, you know, 30 minutes or an hour or whatever, and just deep dive. And I think what both of us noticed was how do we have like a deep, heavy conversation 
without there being anger or or craziness and it's like well maybe the world really needs to hear some of that right now well i think well whether you may you may or may not be crazy i never doubted your (laughs) sincerity or your well-intentioned for society (laughs) yeah no that that's exactly it and um yeah and that's kind of the 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 rule that we talked about which we don't really need the rule but just for the context is like we're not going to release this unless we're both happy with it um this this is a vibe that i'm stealing directly from sam um although it didn't help him much because he had people on with bad faith but um there's basically no gotchas so uh just uh just an open conversation and we can edit after the fact um and and release if we want to and if not it was just a good conversation so um perfect um so i think the loose outline is discussion of the role of government would you say that's correct sure um okay so so what is your overall view of like an ideal role of government in an ideal society that's tough to uh synthesize down um I'm, you know, I grew up in a place, I grew up in Hawaii and uh, there wasn't a lot of government around. In fact, it wasn't really necessary. There's only key times I remember in my life where government was really necessary. And I read this one quote and I'll call it a butcher it later. It's, it's for the things that we have to do together that we'll have a really tough time doing a part, you know, as a society, for instance, uh, you know, having a military that's really tough for one person or a family or even a town to guard a country and create a military. So you kind of need a governmental structure for that. Or perhaps uh, just having a country in general and to the same extent uh, protect the borders, you know, be one of the things in the constitution. But it's to keep it very, very minimal to the point where you can preserve as much freedom and liberty amongst your population while still functioning as a society. And that would be a very careful balance. Yep. Yeah, and and I think that is, um, I, I think that's a, a strong line of argument, and I think it was obviously the argument of a, at least half of the uh, of the forefathers. And, and I'm not a historian or political expert. I, I'm, I'm not sure you are either, but we we read a lot and we think a lot. Um, but I, I think um, th- that's your understanding as well. Is like that that was that was a core part of what we were founded on, right? Well, yeah, I guess just to put it out there. So, I, you know, I, re- I read the Constitution, like the whole thing beginning to end at least once a year. Um, I'm not a big literary reader and things like that, but I do consider the Constitution to be a masterpiece. And I really like the thought and the time and what it did for the world. So uh, that's kind of where I base my core beliefs beliefs on. It's just that document and whatever I can really understand about it, because some of the language is interpretable. It's maybe need some revision because I just don't understand what they meant by certain things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess my, I guess I'll just jump into like where I see a flaw in, in the, the scope that you laid out for, sure. for government. I, I think, um, well, let me ask you this. And, and by the way, my natural tendency when debating, um, I used to be a militant atheist. Um, so, uh, I learned a lot of, I guess, Kung Fu back then, like verbal Kung Fu. So if, if you see me doing that, just sort of uh, 
to sort of respond uh, in, in in kind, and in, which is ironic since you're a black belt in jujitsu and could actually <laughs> and could actually kill me. Um, but um, but but I, I, my I my tone. I train martial arts for self defense, so I don't have to kill anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you hear what I'm saying. So yeah, what I'm saying you. is, naturally, I might go into sort of an adversarial mode, but it will be in the spirit of debate. Sure. Um, hopefully, I won't get there, but if I do, uh, just let me know. So um, my thoughts on the government thing is that, um, so let me ask you this. Do you believe that there, there are differences in individuals in their capabilities in different uh, capacities? So like wh whatever, leadership, uh, intelligence, creativity, um, confidence, charisma, those sorts of things. Absolutely. I mean, we could get, just get scientific about it. Like, visually i'm not going to be six foot eight and play in the nba i'm just not lebron or at the same time we can look at scientifically like genetically you and i are going to have different genetics and we're going to be predisposed to different things there is no equality like there's going to be differences yeah yeah absolutely so i, I think that's right um i think group differences is a whole separate conversation and i'm not sure the science is even solid on that, but individual differences, I, I don't see how there's any sort of even debate about that. So what I would say then, if we know that whatever, we're, I think we're at 7.5 billion people right now, if we know that there are the skills that are required to succeed at any given moment, right? One thing that's crazy about life is that those skills are constantly changing, right? It was different back when you needed to be a hunter gatherer or then you needed to be a, a an actual hunter and then then you go into agriculture and then yeah. there's like merchants or whatever and like all of these require different skills but they lack certain tools because technology hasn't been invented and then we happen to live in this little tiny slice of time where one particular set of skills happens to get you a, a lot of money or a lot of respect or whatever um, so given that and the fact that individuals are different, the reason that I consider myself a, a liberal or a progressive is because I think that natural mismatch between the, the particular slice of things that make um, a, a group of people, like 7.5 billion people, successful or not successful at any given time is random to some degree right um you you can be you can have generations of farmers who just get destroyed all of a sudden and at that point i i think it would be nice for the government and and the way the way i think of the government the ideal government is that we wouldn't even have it be a separate thing it would just be us and i know we're not at that point right now because I, it's I, I, I it's a dumpster fire i want to no, no no i want to understand that part what do you mean it would just be us i don't know what you meant by that so, so what I mean is, uh, ideally, the government would be us getting together. Um, I learned a little bit about Switzerland. Uh, I, I was there recently. And I did some just some reading on it because I heard it was like the best example of like socialism. Turns out it's actually the opposite. It's more like the the best example of local independence. So, so their government, and it may be changing now, but but they get together at the extremely local level, like just a tiny little town. And they make their own laws. And everyone who's, or a large portion of the people who are gonna be affected by that law are in the room having the conversation about it. 
right? So, so in other words, if they all get together and they decide, you know what, we're not going to put the stop sign here, or we're going to harvest a little bit later in the year, or whatever it is, no one feels like the government did something to them. They made a rule and everyone has to follow the rule, but the government didn't do something to them because they are the government, right? Whereas now you have this massive abstraction where it's like you send your money away, hopefully something happens, but it usually doesn't. I mean, how connected do we really feel to our representatives? Not very much. So it does feel like an other, but, but can you see a world or would you like to see a world where we were linked in some way? So it was more like that Switzerland situation. Uh, so actually, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't find anything objectionable ab about that world. I guess if the choice is between the world that I have in my head and the world that we live in today, um, I, I would go with the world in my head. But if you're laying out like, you know, the more local, lo you know, much bigger, local, more influential local government that's like right across the street from me, I'd easily opt for that one over, over the one we have now. Um, I just think a lot of these things that we consider is just, you know, false choices. But I think if you're gonna have a government, you, you, wanna, you wanna make have the decisions as close to the people who are gonna be affected as possible and everybody else can butt out. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind that at all. Yeah, okay, okay. And then what, what if, um, I, I guess, what, what if there was some sort of major issue? Like, um, let's say overall Switzerland, there was just this issue with uh, a certain group of people, maybe they were new to the country or whatever, and they, um, they were just super lagging in, uh, in education, for example. And everyone knew scientifically that education is what determines outcomes or whatever. And then everyone got together and said, yeah, definitely I, I'm willing to raise my taxes for, for this particular purpose. So ignoring the, uh, the waste of bureaucracy, do you agree with the central concept of I see suffering over there? Let's band together to solve that suffering or address the suffering. Okay. Yeah, this, this might be good. So the first one is I, I be first is you might have to take care of the immediate problem. There's, there's people that are in need in your country that need to be helped out in some way. But the other one is I'd be questioning like how they got there in the first place. Like why, you know, what, what, what flaw, if any, was in the immigration process that sought that caused this problem? Because we, you know, while we solve the, for the hundred that are there, I'm worried about the thousand that come after, you know, that sort of thing, you know? What, yeah. So, but if they're already there and that's the premise where we start, um, I would actually have resistance to that particular idea. So not that I would not want to see them be educated if that's what they need to be successful. It's the, it's the force part. So I forget that, that analogy. It's like, you know, democracy is like something like two wolves and a, and a pig deciding what's for dinner, you know, that sort of thing. So yeah. just because every, everybody except a few vote in favor of something that we all have to give them our money to educate them. What if one person dissents that says, no, I don't, you know, for whatever reason, this is my money. I earn this money. It's not your money. It's not their money. And I want to keep my money. I don't care what you guys say. And then, and the majority says, you yeah, know, you know, we, we got, we decided that, the, that your, your money would be better used over here. And now you have force entering the equation. So it, I would much prefer a world in that, you know, the few people or the number of people are necessary would voluntarily band together to contribute their money rather than the government entering with force. Yeah, I hear you. But the way I'm imagining that is 
you could see everyone in the room. And the, the, of course, the scale is off for this, but you could see everyone in the room and you're looking around and you're saying, hey, are we okay with this? Are we okay? Is everyone in to give this money? I guess you're saying that if, what if someone raises their hand in the back and says, I'm out? Yeah, what, hap yeah, what happens then? Mm -hmm. I, I, I would be feel really bad because I would really personalize it if, like, let's say I, Jeremiah Grossman, felt it was a, a good idea to vote for this, and I did, but one person did it. I'd have feel bad going, like, forcibly taking their money or anything from them to give it to somebody else. I wouldn't feel good about that. Yeah, I hear you. Um, well, the thing that jumped to mind when you said that, because education is like a medium of the road, like obviousness, I think a less obvious one would be like, I don't know, like positive commercials on TV or something, but like a super hardline version would be vaccination, right? Which I don't have it on the list, but somehow we got here. So um, if, what, what are your thoughts on the herd, herd uh, immunity, um, the government mandating, like I think Italy is now doing it. There's some counties in the US that are now mandating. They're saying basically can't bring your kids to school if you don't vaccinate. Um, what are your thoughts there where on one hand you have a clear danger, which is, um, I, I don't know the actual numbers, but it's something like if, if a certain amount of immunity falls, if you fall below a, a certain threshold, uh, it basically completely breaks down. Um, and well, yeah, that's a, the public health crisis is like that. Yeah. But let's say in the U.S. we've had a history of like epidemics, you know, polio, smallpox. We do not want those things back again. And and I guess I would make, I haven't thought a lot through this, but I would guess I make allowances for some kind of compulsion or force in that regard because that person who is non-vaccinated puts the rest of us at risk. That's would, right. It'll be a little bit different than somebody saying, no, I'm out. I don't want to give my money towards education. That doesn't put everybody else at risk. Like, like a subject like vaccination might. Yeah, I hear you. Now, it's funny you say that because my, my very next thought is that this is simply a matter of degree, right? So imagine we know the science well enough, uh, which I, I, I think we, so, some of us do, uh, not me, but like, I, I think there is established links that says you educate groups it gets better, it's better for everyone. Um, you, you reduce crime. Here's what I'm saying. It's just a matter of degree between herd immunity and, and children actually getting measles because they can't be vaccinated yet because they went, or their parent went to a party where, where someone had measles, right? Because they didn't get vaccinated. There, I, I think it's only a matter of grade between that and us not choosing or us not requiring the education of everyone. Um, That's a good point. I, I'm, I'm trying to visualize it, the continuum that you're laying out visually. I'm trying to see if that actually makes sense. Let, let me try, let me try to, I'll raise some objections here and see if they hold up. Okay. So uh, if, am I, you know, as a free person, am I allowed to hurt myself? Probably, I would say so. I mean, who's, you know, What's anybody's business to stop me? Whether anything, I, I think it's actually illegal. Oh, yeah, yeah, but it, but it, you know, uh, I guess in a philosoph philosophical sort of thing, like, should I be able to cut myself? Should I be able to kill myself and not break the law? Should I be able to do those things or right. pass food or whatever the case may be? Yeah, 
I would say, yeah. I mean, it's your body. It's your person. You can do whatever you want to it. Okay. So am I allowed to say, no, I'm not going to send my money to educate people, even though I know scientifically it might hurt me and the rest of society? Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, but at the same time, if can I extend the same logic and go, I don't want to get vaccinated. I want to vaccinate my kids. I'm allowed to hurt myself. Well, yeah, sure. But in doing so, you're going to hurt everybody else too. So I guess m- maybe it does hold up. It's, it's just, I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with, I'm struggling a bit with that one. I hear you because it gets, yeah, the, the causality gets weak and it gets diluted at each tier, right? Um, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I, I feel like so. So here, here's a good example for me. Um, tru, truancy laws. So it's it's elite or it's illegal for a parent to not send their kid to school. Now they can get exceptions for homeschooling and stuff like that. But uh, like you will get, I, I assume you would get thrown in jail or get tickets or some kind of court trouble for not sending your kid to school. So traditionally, and I'm not saying this has to hold up as proof that it's correct but we have mandated that people educate themselves um because we see the benefits from it i i think that that same rule that the reason for that rule is solid um because let me just ask you this what if there weren't any rules for that Uh, well i guess we could look back to uh I, I don't know the answer, but I guess what, when you ask it, I would go back to, well, there was a time before, at least in the U.S., before we had that law. W- was that a real problem? Were, were, parents, were parents not educating their kids in, so, in such a large quantity that we said, no, we got to make we got to make this law? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I don't I'm not well read enough on the history of that to know. I, I think if I can remember, I think there was a major uptick. Uh, of improvement once it was mandated. Now, here's the trick. It was the, the most people who got the improvement were people who did not have the culture of education already in their, in their families, right? So it's like the people who were, you know, smart and I, I don't know what they were, merchants or whatever, and they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to educate, we're going to educate. Well, they didn't benefit much from the, from the rule. But for families who wouldn't have sent their kids uh, otherwise, I think that's the real trick for today, right? What, something like 400 million people, what percentage of, of families would simply not do the work of getting the kids ready for school and sending them off to school if the government wasn't, wasn't making them uh, do so? So a couple of things I noticed, I think we, we go back to uh, the, you know, the, the, the core principles and our core divide. Um, I, I believe education is hugely important, including in children, and that we all, we all benefit from it. Um, I would try to find voluntarily, voluntary ways to encourage people to do it voluntarily rather than use a governmental force to force the issue. That, that, that would just be where I stand on the matter. And I, and I, and I say that from the position that my, my children, I have three, have never set foot in uh, in public school ever a little bit of time in private school but they've been largely homeschooled and we yeah. going to those those reasons you know why we chose to do that um what ways could we consider to get more people into the system not into the system i should say i don't like that word um and more people educated without force can we do that 
I I think it's definitely possible. I, I don't know the degree that is possible, but I 100% agree with you that it is. My question is for the people who it doesn't work on. And, and, and here's how I'm painting this out. Um, let, let's say it's whatever, 15%. Let's say 15% are like, screw you, but that number is actually millions of people. Yeah. Uh, um, so what would that be? It would be like 15 in, times four. In the, in the U.S.? In the U.S., yeah. Let's uh, say the U.S. Yeah, it like, would be something like if it, it I 16. think we have 350 million people or 300 million, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, w- whatever. It would be like 50 or 60 million people. Right? Maybe the so, size of Cal- I think the relative size is like California. Yeah, so it would be massive. It would be a lot of people. And, and here's, here's the, I, I think it's a liberal argument. It's basically, okay, we've allowed them to fail because they definitely will. Um, now, the libertarian approach would be like, well, we gave them the choice and they chose wrong. But now you have 15 million people sort of wallowing in their own despair because of the bad choices that they made. Um, and because we pretty much know that that's going to happen, it's not like they're going to snap out of it a few months later and be like, you know what, I think I am going to take my kid to school uh, because I just found the value of education, right? It, instead, they're just going to go deeper and deeper into it. And, and here's what I'm saying. That is going to branch into their society. So if they are living with each other, they're going to be hurting each other and stealing from each other and killing each other. And that will make a separate little enclave. But if they live with the other people who are uh, educated, I mean, there's going to be a clash there. There's going to be us and them and, and them and others. And we don't like them because they're not educated. And it's, it's just going to be a mess. So, so, so many thoughts on that one. So this is going to be good. Um, so I'll only slightly sarcastically say, we got that anyway, even though <laughs> public education is a, a thing. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, so I, uh, you know, in my, I've, I've learned because, you know, I've been a hiring manager for like 20 years and I mm-hmm. found no correlation between college degrees and on the job work performance. And I think we have to divorce the concept of school and education. Those are not the same things. Um, they should, they should be the same, but I've never, I've not seen that to be the case, but let's say we take the hypothetical you laid out. There's going to be a sector of the population whose culture says do not educate, or we don't want, we don't want that. There's going to create a divide between an increasingly large divide between the haves and the have nots that you and them. But, you know, maybe that's just the way it, you know, ha- it has to be. I mean, it's, it's difficult to, use, I find it difficult to use government force to solve a cultural problem. Yeah, I, I hear you. But what if, what if the government force early on, like mandating kids go to whatever school through 12th grade? Are, are we not what? attacking the core issue though? Like what, what would cause a parent to not want to send their kids to a school to get educated or if, if that's what happens there like what, what why would they not want the best for their kids i mean what, what's going on there yeah no i i hear you and i think this is the cultural issue and and by the way i've been reading a whole bunch of uh conservative thinkers um not not the crazy evil ones but like decent conservative thinkers and this is always where they arrive which is basically there's a cultural difference between thriving people and people who are not thriving and i'm i agree with that i i I know that to be true but 
I also think that culture is culture is um, training and luck as well, as well as probably genetic as well to some degree, I imagine. But but um, it's a combination of things that that person is not responsible for, right? So if someone grows up and they have the best work ethic and they have the best you know self-discipline and um, their parents told them from day one, you're going to Harvard. Um, and guess what? They go to Harvard. And then you look at that person and say, wow, you have amazing, you know, you just made all the right choices. And you look at the, and, and you look at the next person, right. Who is like, uh, they grew up like one parent, just like a total mess. Every single person they knew college was not mentioned to them once. Um, they grew up with no, no understanding of it. Um, they were taught how to fight, uh, use a gun, how to sell drugs, whatever. Um, and, but, but they have, they have got lots of talent. They've got creativity. They've got all these things. The difference is one got dropped into the Hamptons and one got dropped into whatever South side of Chicago. Um, Oh yeah. There's going to be environmental differences that have vast impact on whatever the person is without, without question. Like I just know that just from myself alone and some of the things I've encountered and I'm certain they certainly shape my worldview. No, absolutely. And, and same here. So, so what I'm saying is, what if you have a giant group of people who are in that bad situation, and that bad situation just feeds on itself? So at that point, I, I'm reluctant to look at the entire group that, whose parents didn't send them. Because here's the trick, that kid who got screwed by the parents, they just become a parent. So the, the answer to your question of, why wouldn't they want the best for their kid? They, uh, of course, they do want the best for their kid, but they're broken. So okay, so th- that, okay, so that's that's a really good point. So let's let's look at this a bit. Um, they have a culture of not wanting education, and and not then not being educated, and then you you kind of have a society like this, and then you come in with a kind of a heavy hand of government forcing and forcing certain rules upon them. Do you then end up having two problems rather than no problems? Meaning they didn't want to get educated in the first place and it's difficult to force someone to learn something that they didn't want to learn. And now you're forcing them to be in a place that they don't want to be. Don't you then cause resentment towards the government and a lack of value in education? Yep. I hear you. Now, so now I'm going to say the craziest thing ever. Okay. Um, and this part might, might not even make it into the podcast, but, um, I'm going to draw the, the, the analogy between uh, parents and children and the role of a society in helping people who are failing. Okay. So if you have a child and the child is like, I want to play in traffic. Um, and I want to eat pop rocks and sit in the middle of traffic and try to do a backward somersault. Mm-hmm. The, the parent walks in and says, yeah, those are all good things. And look, I respect you. I know you're going to be an equal to me in the future. Right now, you are not an equal to me. And I actually, you have to get out of traffic. You have to stop eating pop rocks because we're going to have potatoes and meat later. Um, so there's like this training thing. There's not the assumption that the parent is better than the child, or at least it shouldn't be. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know any parent who thinks that. It's just a matter of, look, you have not got this training yet. I'm giving you this training. 
I think this is such a toxic idea, the idea that the government is going to, you know, uh, coddle or be the parent figure or the big brother figure or whatever. But when you were talking about a population that does not want education, I think you are looking at the exact same situation as a child who does not want to eat food and wants to eat Pop Rocks instead and play in traffic. Because we all agree that if this person knew what education could give them and to their kids, they would want it. And, and once you show it to them and give it to them, they will want it more and you could back away. Now, the, I know the danger. The danger is, oh, I've just made this decision for you. Let me make some more decisions for you. And pretty yeah. soon I'm, I'm yeah. managing you like a child, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then you get to the you know, strange, like if you can start making real important life decisions for me like that, where, where, where does it stop and, and where do we draw the line? For me, and this is where I get, you know, where I come at it from just a general li libertarian. I, I like helping people out in, you know, a variety of different ways. I don't, I don't, I rarely talk about it, but I'm not about to wait for any government, let alone our government to really help anybody. I have no, I have no faith or confidence or patience to wait for that to happen. If I see somebody that I can help, I'm just inclined to help them if I can. And yeah, that's how I function in society. And you can help me help that person or you don't have to. That's, that's pretty much how it works. Yeah. And let me just take a, a brief intermission here uh, for, for anyone who is listening, assuming we do release this, who is thinking that, you know, Jeremiah is some sort of libertarian. And he doesn't care about people. So I've seen Jeremiah help dozens of people over the course of 16 years. Uh, he's also helped me numerous times uh, directly quietly on the side in exactly the way he's describing and every good person who I know who is conservative or libertarian is doing the same sort of thing. They're not out there broadcasting what they're doing. They're just kind of, they see an opportunity. They know that they have some sort of ability to help. So they go and help. Uh, so I've absolutely seen you do that. And I, I know that's true. The problem is it doesn't scale well. Um, it doesn't scale to the problem of 45 million people who are just suffering and the suffering is magnified. First, I really appreciate you mentioning that. <laughs> I don't know anybody notices, but I don't, I don't do it to make, to make, make anybody notice. Yeah. But I wonder if it has to scale. Meaning is the problem so great that it requires everybody pitching in or can we just leave it to a handful of volunteers to make it happen? You know, that would be a looking at. I don't know if we need everybody to be helpful, everybody to be generous, you know, that sort of thing. But we might need a few around. And is there enough few generous people around to, to, to really solve the problem if they were left alone? Interesting. I saw a, um, a uh, piece by David Brooks. I think it was David Brooks. It was in New York Times recently. And it was a conversation about the, um, the approach that Canada is taking to solving poverty. I think you'll absolutely love this. So they, um, they basically get together as a town, as like a small little town, and they all gather up into a group and say, what does this exact town, does this individual town need? And then they take whatever resources they have and they go into the community and directly help, um, which is way different than what we do here in the States. And uh, they're having some really good uh, results, whereas 
we mostly don't. Uh, you know, it's funny, like, it, I, I think you actually see a lot of that, at least in my area here, where they have uh, beach cleanup efforts, or like, you know, the beach is dirty, we all want to go to the beach. Everybody, you know, we're going to set up a Saturday and go out there for three hours and clean up all the trash. And of course, the whole, the whole town doesn't show up, but enough people do to clean it up. And yeah, I, I could see that working all the time. I mean, I think there's enough people that want to live in a nice place that are willing to get out of their chair and get outside and go work together voluntarily. I think there's always been enough people like that. Yeah. What, what about like existing pockets that are really, really rough? Like I, I'm trying to think of neighborhoods. Um, I keep seeing South of Chicago, um, just, just really bad places where the, the history of the, of the brokenness and the, you know, the parenting and the culture and everything, it's just, it's a massive weight on all the individuals. How do you break them out of that? Uh, with just a few, because there are already lots of community people in there trying to do those jobs. They're, they're going in there. They're not being paid much. They're getting attacked. They're getting spit on, even though they're, they're the ones trying to help. How do you break through it once it's of a sufficient size? So I'm like a, the, the last person that given my political persuasion, I'm the last person that you want to give, have ideas on how to handle social policy like that. But, uh, you know, one of the things I did research lately is I was trying to find uh, examples of social programs in general that may, were made to be effective. For instance, one of the places I looked at in like was Chicago and Chicago has been like Democrat and left leaning and very impoverished for a long, long time. Like we're talking decades here. And we spent gobs of taxpayer dollars, you know, with, on social programs, and poverty always seems to get worse. I, I, I really like to know what that is. And one of, the, one of the things is that I think there might be a conflict of interest, you know, and I always look for these in life, meaning you have government there whose job it is to help impoverished people, which sounds great, but at the same time, they're collecting a paycheck, they're just people too. And if poverty went away, you could say, well, now they lose their jobs. And that creates up some perverse incentives. Yeah, I, I would. I actually might try, or at least voice an idea, let, and go. Let's go for economic incentives. Like, if we're going to give money to government or government employees to solve the poverty problem, they only get rewarded when the when the po when the poverty line when the number of people below the poverty line goes down. And if it doesn't go down, they're they're out of there. Just like any other business, you have to be effective. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I, I think. I, I love those sorts of um, metrics that don't let you lie. It's actually what I'm doing now is, is uh, doing metrics program stuff. And it's, um, you, you got to track the right metrics because I think you're right. If you have perverse incentives, then you'll track the wrong metric, which just gets you more money to waste. Right. And you end up with the worst problem. Uh, this, this is what a lot of the um, conservatives that I'm reading are talking about is that, is that we've basically, um, well, personal responsibility is probably a big thing for you, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like the biggest thing. Yeah, exactly. And that's a lot of what they're talking about is um, they're especially talking about um, going pretty far back. I think uh, between the 40s and the 60s, um, black families were just really doing quite well uh, in terms of like, uh, marriage rates, um, wedlock rates, um, education, all these sorts of things. And then in the 60s, when a bunch of social policies happened, that's when it went really bad. 
And it just came down to the economics of applying bad incentives. Yeah. I, I think there might, I haven't studied nearly enough to, to see if that correlates or is causality, but it is very suspicious timing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think, I think this is uh, like most things it's a hybrid, right? I think this focus on personal responsibility is ideal. Like if you look at, at an individual, uh, one thing I, I've seen just in the security industry and managing people, there's a big difference between telling someone, um, I, I, I have you, I, I'm going to take care of you, or I, I'm going to solve this because you're not good enough yet. Um, and contrary to that, telling them, you know what, I have complete and utter trust in you. This is really hard, but it's within your reach and it's all you. This is 100% on you. And you could see someone go from like an average player to an A player. And they've always been an A player, but they didn't actually show until you gave them full control. It, well, I think, you, might, you know, psychologically, you might have did two things. I think a lot of people are just waiting for someone to believe in them and give them permission just to, to be the greatness that they are, might already have been. Like, for some reason, some people are just are waiting for permission to go do great things. And you don't have to be anybody to grant them permission. You're like, please go do this. Please go be great. You could be anybody. And that might make someone's day and enough to turn the, and, and enough to push them over the edge. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. So, I mean, the, the question is how can we give that message to someone who is so damaged, right? They're damaged by the, the parenting and the peer group. Um, so what I'm saying is I agree with you about, and I agree with the libertarian side about personal responsibility being so important. What I am claiming is that when you get sufficiently damaged, you cannot hear the message. And that's when you need some sort of force, which normally would come from the parents, but you need some sort of force to push them through. And we're talking about millions of people. And yeah. traditionally that's been the government, like making them get an education as a start. So we have this, well, if we could put it in economic terms, basically if you're saying, I'm going to try to paraphrase here. If, you, if I get it wrong, please correct me. There's a certain number of millions of people there that are, unable to to take care of themselves really like if there wasn't social assistance it's bad where they are now if we stop the social assistance it would get even worse i mean we're talking third world conditions in one of the richest countries on the planet and there's no there's great we can have the philosophical philosophical debates about how to stop that sort of thing but the problem is here now and now what do we do about it is that is that about right i i think it's right here here's what i'm saying Let, let's say it's whatever the number is, 100 million, no, uh, 10 million people. Let's say it's 10 million people. Here, here's what we don't know. We don't know what percentage of this group is unable to do anything successful. And they're just, they need to be supported. In my opinion, as, as a liberal person, they need to be supported because they have some sort of major limitation that no matter how good or smart or driven they are, they can't succeed. Okay, so that's some very small proportion. There's another proportion who is like, I don't want to do anything. I don't care what tools you give me. I don't care what opportunities you give me. I want to do the absolute minimum and take the absolute maximum 
from the world, right? Yep. That is another percentage. I don't know what that percentage is. Yeah. Then there's another percentage who looks exactly like that group. They look exactly the same. When you talk to them, they have the same attitude. Um, you give them a job, they screw it over exactly the same way. But you know what? They're not that person. Because if you were to go to them with like love and understanding and be like, you know what? You've always been told that you're a piece of shit. But you're actually amazing. And I'm going to give this to you and you're going to be awesome and we're going to put you in school and I'm going to, I'm going to stay on you. I'm going to stay on you and I'm going to coach you through this and, and I'm going to talk mean to you and, you know, like a coach, like a football coach. And guess what? They pull out, they escape, right? So that's three different groups. What is the, what is the percentage and how do you, how do you separate this group? My opinion, the only way to separate the group, Jeremiah, is to go and give everyone that same treatment and then you find out i you know it's kind of funny that i don't think we debate that something uh necessarily should be done it's just what exactly should be done and should it come from people voluntarily doing things or government compulsion um but what reminds me that uh you know i you know i ran white hat security for a lot of years and one of the things we did during our hiring process is we would interview anybody for you know, the role of a hacker, right? A web hacker, because that we would teach them. We'd interview anybody. And before they came in, um, we would give everybody homework and we call it homework. You know, here's the 10 questions we're gonna ask you. If you spend eight to 10 hours on Google and know these concepts, you'll come in and you'll pass. And what they didn't know is when they eventually came in, we didn't care if they got every single question wrong. What we were looking for is that, that they applied themselves. And it, what happened was it actually wiped out 80 to 90% of our applicants. And all the only ones that would show up are the ones that actually tried, even though they got everything wrong, because we were going to, you know, teach them everything that they needed to know anyway. What we wanted to the ones, the ones that were put in the work, because what we knew about the work is that it was just work, meaning it wasn't cerebrally difficult, not really. It was just a lot to learn, and you had to learn and then teach others every moment of every single day. And that's the yep. type of people that we wanted. So if we're looking to separate, you know, the class of people that you mentioned, maybe perhaps something like that, you know, here's an opportunity and we're going to tell you how this works and we'll see if you want to put in the work. And if you don't, well, if you don't want to work for whatever reason, there's really nothing I can do to help you. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, I do hear you. And, and by the way, I, I, I know so many people who are now in like very high levels of AppSec or InfoSec and they started at White Hat. So what you did there was, was fantastic for the industry and also for a lot of people's careers. So it, this exact, this type of mentoring that you're doing, this is what needs to be applied at scale. Right. But, but here's, here's the trick. You're talking to people who are high school, uh, college or pre-college or, or post-college, but maybe they didn't graduate or maybe they yeah, did. But the point yeah. is, yeah, yeah, but they're, they're older. They're not, they're not seven, right? So, so here's the problem. We need that same Jeremiah coaching, but we need it for five-year-olds who are being told that they're stupid and the only thing they're going to be good at is uh, violence, right? Because if, if someone could um, get that same question, the questionnaire that you gave them, and if they are sufficiently damaged, they, they won't do the work because no one has ever told them to value that. 
okay, so I'll give you another one that I've don't I've donated to. It wasn't it wasn't a lot, but it was a, a few dollars that I sent this way. Um, you know Dave Itell, right? Yeah. So Dave Itell, he's the CEO of Immunity. Um, so I want to say like eight, six, eight years ago, um, you know, I hold my Brazilian jiu-jitsu smackdown, you know, just, uh, yep. jiu-jitsu class at RSA and Black Hat. And, and, uh, so Dave shows up, you know, and it was his first time showing up. It was his first time training jiu-jitsu ever. And we trained together. And I found out later that he went back and really got into jiu-jitsu and got his coworkers into it. And now he has his own smackdown at, at his conference. But he actually linked up with someone in Miami, and the, I, I forget the person's name or the group, but it's called Project Grapple. So they, he, he has roots to very poor areas in Miami, and he created like a group of, I guess a social group of young kids, um, you know, in, in very impoverished areas, and then he mentors them, he gives them free jujitsu classes and jujitsu courses, and they form a team, and then the team goes and competes at local competitions. And, uh, and they've been killing it. Like, it's nice. they really like it. Like, they, they learn a useful skill, self-defense. And the discipline that comes with learning jujitsu and training it, and that you have to focus on your weaknesses, and you have to be humble, and then you have to tap and tap over and over again, you know, that has a way of character building. So I've been actually uh, contributing to causes like that. I think maybe it's, it's those sorts of things. Like, I just want to find the key people that are just very passionate that want to make a, a sincere difference and take my money, go do good things. I can't do it all myself. I got some money. So, but here, go, go do your thing. I think maybe it's things like that. And those, and those kids, I, I, they they look to me, uh, seven to 15 or so age ranges. Okay. Yeah. What I find interesting though, because I think that's amazing. The question is, how, how do we go to the next step and find the people who didn't show up when, when Dave sends out the email and the people don't show up, how do we go onto the streets and into these communities and be like, get your ass in the dojo. We're going to teach you some life skills. Um, it, so this, to me, this is, again, I, people are going to absolutely hate this, but it's a very, this is what a parent does for a child. If a child is like, I'm not studying anything, um, I want to play video games. I'm not going outside. I'm not going to get exercise. They're not allowed to refuse love. They're not allowed to refuse guidance and just fail while you watch. And that's how I feel about all these communities who are completely failing because they were screwed early on, right, by, by a long line of, of failures. So we have to go to them and force them into this mentorship. And, and I am drawing the distinction, or I, I, am, I am drawing the similarity between a gentle, forced football coach mentorship and a government, a properly run government program that <laughs> does much of the same thing. That's, that's the trick. And uh, if, if, I, if I would, me personally, if I would trust government enough to do that, yeah, here, I'll, I'll, I'll opt in. But I, Oh, if, well, there, there we go. So, so. In my life, I've never seen that. I've never seen it actually happen. Well, I, so I think this is super useful because what, what I'm hearing is we mostly agree. Um, it's just you are way, way more um, pessimistic 
about the current government and also the ability of the, of the government to become anything better. And me growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area and, you know, having super kind of hippie parents, I guess I'm more optimistic. I mean, Oh, no, I, I'm optimistic. I'm just, and that, it's not necessarily pessimistic. I'm skeptical that government can do much of anything well. And I yeah. really don't have the time or the patience, really, to wait for them to figure it out. I'd rather just do it myself. I hear you. But, but what if there's, like I said, the, the 50 million or the 500 million or at the global scale, how many people are failing? Uh, Pinker says it's getting much better. I, I got some qualms with that. but. Um, it, let, let's say a billion out of eight billion is yeah. just in abject poverty. Um, I, I think your point, Mike, your point is how, how do I, how do my, people like me scale to help out as maximum amount of people as possible? Yeah. And but how do we help that billion people? Well, I, I would say right now, at least a third of what I earn is given to the federal government, at least for things that most things I don't agree with at all, let alone their spending priority. And I would think a lot of people would be in the same boat as well. And, uh, and then, but then at the same time, you have uh, guys like Gates out there. I mean, he spent like, I think $200 million on, on that free vaccinations for, for like kids in Africa or like in South America for uh, like a malaria vaccination or truly preventable diseases. He just scaled yep. it shot. I think it actually can help a massive amount of people, just a few people with the necessary funds if, we're, if they're just left alone. Mm. Like, because he, he actually, I think Gates, I, I, this is like my self-proclaimed thing. I don't know if this is 100% true, but I think Bill Gates has actually saved more children's lives than anybody in human history by giving them each one like a $5 shot. That's all he did. Yeah, that seems possible. And you combine that with the malaria work that they did. I, I, I hear you on that. And no, no question. He's done tons of good. I, I, I like what you're saying and, and uh i do a decent amount of of similar stuff um not not to gates but <laughs> to to uh to the type of stuff that that you're doing and but i i just don't feel like the individual stuff matters enough although i just did taxes and i have lost uh faith in the government uh, quite a bit uh, <laughs> as, as as of as of uh yeah, last Friday doing well, taxes. That was well, horrible. It's, it's 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 nearly tax day. Let's talk a minute about that. Like, if I if I have to give nearly half of what I earn to government, fine, okay. But can I at least have the choice? Like, for instance, let's say government takes my money in effort to do social good. Well, can we skip the middleman and have them just maybe just require me to give to do social good with my money directly rather than indirectly through them with what about that? Like you, you, you must. What would that look like? Um, of the taxes that you pay us, can you ten percent of that must be given to a social program? So let me pick the social program. Let me give it to my local Salvation Army or something like that, rather than sending it to the government and they figure out who to give it to. Like I know who to give it to better than they do. Oh yeah, like Amazon Smile. Have you seen that? No. Yeah. So you, if you go to smile.amazon.com you can pick a charity from a giant list of charities that they have and they will like donate uh, some portion of a lot of your purchases to that charity. So it's things like that. So like the trade-off would be rather than me, if I have to, you know, let's say a third, if I have to give a third of my money to government, I, they can say here, give it a third to us. 
or some amount of that you have to spend on charity, your choice. Yeah, no, I would love that. Um, yeah, I think there's a massive disconnect between, well, there's just no efficiency in, in that, <laughs> in that wire, right? That the money that, and I'm in San Francisco, so I'm even more angry. Like I drive in streets that are only partially there. Um, and then I step in, uh, you know, human feces downtown. Like, I, I'm not sure exactly. And I'm about to pay, I don't know, some crazy amount in state taxes. It, so the tax situation is, is very clearly bad um, because there's no efficiency in what's being collected versus how it's being spent. And so I, I completely get that. But to me, that's an, that's an execution problem, not a principal problem. I think you're right, but I also don't know, given the incentives of government, I don't know if they'll ever get execution right. I mean, what's, ca what's causing us culturally or systematically to get it so wrong? Like, for instance, we had this little bit of discussion on, uh, on SMS. You know, there, there's this ethos that's going on. It's like, you know, we need you know, Bernie Sanders or in the like, we need to tax the millionaires and billionaires more. Okay, fine. Let's say you're right. I'm very concerned that they're going to give half of that money over to the military to kill people in a faraway land that I never had no problem with. I have a real issue with that. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting when you said that. Um, it's a great point. I, I think that's what just uh, distinguishes true libertarians uh, because conservatives, they're like, oh, I'm a libertarian. I, I care about liberty. And it's like, well, can a woman um, end a pregnancy if, if that's her choice? And they're like, oh, definitely not. Um, and what do you think about church? They're like, oh, God should be in the schools. And what do you think about the military? Oh, we should be a colonial nation. Uh, we should spread America everywhere. That is not libertarian. That is some new type of conservative. So I appreciate that you are the pure version who is like, just focus on yourself, do the right thing, and leave other people alone. I, I, I try. I, I just find that there's, there's really only two ways to get somebody to do anything. You can force them or you can uh, encourage them. Or, you know, it's either voluntary or force. And I, only, I, I try to treat others in the system the way I would like to be treated. I don't want to force you to do anything. I encourage you to do something, you know, useful, but I can't force you. And, cause, and, I, and I think that's what ends up happening is, People want to, some people want to force other people to do well-intended things, but at the point of a gun, no, nah, that's just not me. I hear you. I, I just keep coming back to that child thing. Like what were your, you said either force or encourage, right? Those are your two things. Uh, yeah. It's either you could do something by force or you can voluntarily do it. Okay. So what about a child? You mean like, like a pregnancy or like a child? No, no, a child is just, you know, acting up, doesn't want to eat the, the right food or whatever. They're, they're just completely disobeying. Oh, are, you, uh, are you doing force or are you doing volunteer? Oh, oh yeah. If, it's, uh, if they're under 18, they have, they have not reached the age of what we've deemed of consent, you know, 18, and they're dependent on their parents. And I would, and I would in the, you know, in the vast majority of circumstance, allow the parent to do what they think is best for their child because as a person that's not part of their family, I have a really tough time going, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you how to parent and I'm gonna force you to do it my way. I have a real tough time with that. No, I, I, that to me. No, I, I hear you 100%, but, but given what we talked about, where you have these cycles, I, I mean, wouldn't you agree that there are many people who turn 18 and don't become 
adults in, in the sense of being a autonomous, free thinking, intelligent, reasonable person. Hey, I know 35 year olds like that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Exactly. No, absolutely. So, so, but uh, I, in these, in these communities, you're going to have a large percentage of those people because they're damaged, not because they're uh, inferior. Well, I would, I would say like, how do they, how, how is that like economically able to perpetuate itself? Like meaning <clears throat> living like that, I would think you would starve and you would die from the elements because it gets cold in Chicago. How is that, a, how is that by laws of physics, how is that able to continue? Well, I, think, I, I think that's the, the, the welfare policies, right? The, the liberal policies, which are misaligned, or just inefficient. They're basically encouraging them to do the things that are hurting themselves. So, like, you know, I, it would be an extreme example, and I, I wouldn't necessarily do it this way, but if we cut off the cash, would they be forced to either die in a very literal sense or get their act together? Which one did we want to do? Right. And to me... Exactly. And to me, that is, that is the football coach thing. That is the parent thing. Because eventually, that's what happens with a misbehaving child is like you, they say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do my homework. I'm not going to go to school. I'm not going to do whatever the thing is that you're mandating. And it comes down to, uh, you know, a, a parent using force. And I'm not talking about hitting, I'm talking about whatever it is, timeout or yelling or you're being grounded or whatever. So there, there's a force that is applied. Same with the football coach. It's like, oh, you want to backtalk me? Fine, go, go run 20 laps. <laughs> um, do push-ups until you throw up or whatever. Well, and I, I like the football coach analogy because if you want to play for the team, you got to do what the coach says. If you don't, if you don't, want, to, if you don't want to do what the coach says, you don't get to play. Um, mm, interesting. That, that, that sort of thing. I, it's just who is it because I think you use the coach analogy more metaphorically. If the coach is government, I don't know if it really works that way. But if it's a bunch of just, you know, free citizens going, you know, I'm holding a free jujitsu class. If you want to participate, this is what you got to do or a football team or whatever it is, you know, then the, then the, the people that you're trying to help, they can voluntarily opt in or out their call. But, you know, if they're broken, I don't know. I don't know how you fix a broken person. I, I, I don't. Well, uh, yeah, and that's that's where I think we we might be seeing things a little bit differently is. Um, so I'm imagining and there's been pl pl plenty of like movies about this, but you have like a coach who sees a, a person, whether it's a player or, uh, like uh, academics or like music or whatever. They're not performing and they check out right? They're like, I'm not coming. And the coach like leaves the dinner table, drives around town, finds them, brings them back to class, forces them to learn the piano. That's the love that I'm talking about that I think we need to do to people who are refusing help. I think it actually speaks to like, uh, you know, more like, like, you know, we've talked about things like this before, like healthcare in the US, like yeah. door to door doctors. Why, why don't we have that anymore? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that maybe because the system, the system, the governmental system got so involved in these problems that it actually, it was substituted for the people like the door-to-door -door doctors that were doing it philanthropically. I actually yeah. just think government helps too much and it removes the volunteer efforts. Yeah, I hear you on that. I think I agree. Um, what, what are your thoughts on single-payer healthcare? 
I don't like it. At least, well, let me try it this way. Um, if the, if I could opt out, I'd be for it. Meaning a single payer, this is the one where it's like, you get your healthcare from government and that's, there is no insurance. Is that what that, what that means? Right. Um, well, I think, I think the actual things are some sort of hybrid, but in general, it, the big thing that would happen is the employer would not be responsible for paying for healthcare. So they'd be freed up to start more business, hire more people because they're not worried about this massive cost. So I actually uh, have been directly impacted by that, again, as an employer for a long, long time. When I first uh, started a business in California, I, I learned about the law as an employer. I was meant to make help, you know, uh, purchase healthcare on behalf of my employees. I actually didn't like that situation, be put in that situation at all. When I'm in the web security business, you know, to hack things, what do, what do I know about healthcare, healthcare choices? And now all of a sudden I'm trying to run a business and grow something. Now I have to make healthcare choices on behalf of people I really don't know, their living situation, and I don't want to know. Like I had a real tough time with that one. I, would, I was trying to find ways where I can just give them the money and they can buy it or not buy it at their choosing. Like you, you don't want me making healthcare decisions for you. <laughs> so yeah, love getting out of that business. Um, so now if we make it so government uh, supplies it, I don't think that you necessarily make it more efficient because now you're just taking dollars that would have been paid for through the employer and you're moving it as taxation dollars to government. I don't know if we get huge efficiencies that way, but if it doesn't work out, like if it's not a good service and I don't like it, I really would like the ability to opt out and purchase something on my own should I choose to. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but my, my concern is, I mean, this is America, you know, this how we do things. And we do have one version of socialized healthcare or single pair, if you will. And that's the VA, you know, correct? Yep. Um, I, I, I don't know this for sure. I'm not a veteran. I don't know anybody that's been to the you know, VA. I've never had long discussions, but I'm told through the media that it doesn't function very well. I'm concerned that all of a sudden we'd extend the same quality of care as VA to the rest of the nation. I'm not sure we want that. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, I actually am a veteran and I've actually never gone to the VA, even though I got out in 98. Um, I just haven't, for whatever reason, I haven't gone. But um, I hear you. I hear the same thing about the VA, that it's just not good care and all these different reasons. Um, I, I imagine it would be run in a different way. Um, but, but, but I hear your concern. I think it's valid. Um, let me ask you this. So I see a different risk. Um, and I think this is probably a common liberal thing, but I see a different risk, which is um, right now the system is so broken because of money and because of corporations and because of greed. So on one side you have greed that's too powerful and nasty. And on the other side you have like this big brother nanny state bureaucracy that's nasty. And I think that's part of the founding father discussion when they were going back and forth as well. Uh, do you acknowledge that the, the current state is really gross around like being charged so much for just random stuff just because someone's making money in that process? I'm, I'm sorry. I was having trouble following the, the last part. I, I get that. Uh, yeah. Society functions on greed. I don't know if it's society that doesn't. And then, so I'm, I'm, cho I'm choice between, you know, the choice is single payer and government control versus, everybody pursuing greedy greedily pursuing their own personal self-interest but i missed the last part i didn't understand no i was just saying the it, do you 
agree that the current state of greed is nasty and arguably getting worse. Um, how do you, do you agree that needs to be countered? No, 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 no. I, no, I think, uh, I, no, I don't mind people being greedy at, at all. You know, I know they're, I know everybody's generally trying to pursue their own personal self-interest, whether we try to counteract that or not. And I think if, uh, and I think that sort of greed and leveraging that model, that that inherent human instinct is actually given rise to the greatest economic powerhouse the world has ever seen. I mean, the system that we have here, you know, until very recently has raised the population, the general state of living better than anything in human history. I don't want to lose that. Yeah, I would 100% agree with you that capitalism has been amazing and a resounding success and it's lifting people out of poverty. I'm say, I would argue that it's becoming a little bit rotten or stale. Um, what, what example? So I kind of know what more of what you're talking about. So, so here would be an example. Let's say middle class um, family or whatever. Uh, let's say they make 50000 a year. Sure. And maybe they're working one one or two jobs or wh whatever in, in like the Midwest or someplace. Okay. And they go and they go to a hospital to have a kid and they, they have their baby. And on the receipt, it says $38,000, which these are like real numbers. I, I, a lot are smaller and a lot are even higher than that. But one of the fees is like $9,000 or some crazy shit. And it says um, $9,000. Um, child acquaintance um time period and what that what that really means is a nurse took the kid and handed it to the mother in their bed and they charged them nine grand because somebody who is already a millionaire is figuring out ways to gouge people for crazy okay. amounts of money okay you're talking about the greed or maybe perhaps even the fraud of the healthcare establishment that they chose to overbill and overfeed the patient. That's is that the example of the greed? Yes, that's the example. But the concept is that there are smart people systematically trying to do this across the entire healthcare system. Oh yeah, so that they can make money. Oh yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that. And I would just say that you, the only way to counteract, you don't really change people like that. You can only you can only change the environment of which they operate. If there's no money to be gleaned, if they really just can't operate that way, volunteer. You know, like for instance, I would just say that if I went into that same hospital as a parent and I just wanted the price list of what having a baby would cost me, like what do the different services cost? And I've tried this actually. Um, I had some healthcare issues in my family, and some of the insurances uh, that the treatments that they needed weren't always covered by insurance. And when I was dealing with a life or death matter and I said, fine, tell me what the bill is and I'll just write a check. I'll just pay it out of pocket. And no one could tell me, no one could tell yeah. me what anything cost. Totally. And, I, and I think these healthcare providers are one of the reasons they're only able to do this is because the system has divorced the buyer and the seller that if there was no concept of insurance, at least, in the in this legally mandated sense, I don't think they could get away with it. They could try to be as greedy as they want. I don't think they could execute well. Yeah, but insurance is just capitalism, right? No, 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 no. I, I'm like, no, no. It's forced on the employer. The employee is forced to use whatever insurance that I pick for them. Like, it's not like Geico where they just go like, you know, you can go to State Farm or Geico, your choice, and then they have to compete for your business. No, I have to. I get to 
I choose on behalf of the employee and now the employee is forced and that's it. <laughs> right. But, but that's a giant business is to be in the insurance industry and deny people for pre-existing uh, conditions. I mean, that's another good example of capitalism, right? Where you have someone is trying to make money, uh, pre-existing conditions, like were not covered. And then it, requ it required government, it required Obama to push that forward. So you have something that I think you and I agree would agree morally, or hopefully agree morally, that um, if you pay for insurance, then that should be included, right? You, you uh, don't. Not necessarily. What do you think about that? Well, it's kind of like you know, I I, I just recently rebought my car insurance, and I had to select the type of coverage that I wanted, and I was reading over the terms. Do I want collision at what value? Do you know? Do I want to be covered if somebody steals my car and all those sorts of things? So I think uh, that's one of its uh, pre-existing conditions or no. I think that's just a negotiating point between buyer and seller. I want you to cover pre-existing conditions and the, the supplier, the insurance company go, okay, but it's going to cost you 20% more. And then you can just make a choice. Okay. I, I mean, what if, what if it's in their best interest to just not cover people with, with, with pre-existing coverage because then they have to pay out of pocket and they make actually more money, but millions of people or whatever, thousands of people die as a result. Uh, and other people get rich off of that. I think this, I, again, my, my free market economics teaches me that the system adapts to that really, really quickly. If you get pegged as a, as an organization that doesn't treat their patients or their customers very well, no one's going to use you again. So I think so you're they, saying if they had the choice, if they had the choice, they would leave. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, for instance, in a, like I live in Hawaii, right? I live on a small island of Maui. I, I, could, there's, I only, there's only one insurance company here. <laughs> you know, actually, sorry, there's two. Like, that's all we get. I get to choose between two, and it's horrible. Mm. You know, I don't know why there's only two. I, I guess there might be some regulatory burden, but. Why is it not like car insurance where I can go online and I can get quotes from like 10 tomorrow? Like, I don't know what's going on in the healthcare uh, situation here, but it's not like we really have choice. Okay, so you're saying this is another example of we're sitting on top of four problems trying to solve it like with a fifth solution, but you should actually just cut it all the way down to actual choice and then people will choose the best option for themselves. Yeah, I mean, so I go down to a medical facility and just in my area, right? And there's a smoking area outside of a hospital <laughs> where there's nurses, doctors, and patients smoking together. And, and then everybody's crying about pre-existing condition. I'm like, what's it? Is everybody high? <laughs> yeah. No, it's crazy. I, I hear respiratory therapists are like the biggest smokers, actually. And, and I'm thinking to myself, crazy. like, okay, fine. Their choice. Do what you want. I just don't want to pay for that. Mm -hmm. I hear you. Um, have you heard anything about uh, this candidate, Andrew Yang, who is uh, running largely on this concept of universal basic income? You know, I actually, it's a, I, you know, that's why I texted it to you. I saw him. I knew the concept before. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, I'm reasonably familiar with the concept. Sure. I, I, I guess your base reaction is, that sounds like a government program. They're just giving out free money. Is, is that your take on it? Actually, that's that point is where I kind of went and started doing my research on social programs that work. And if, 
other areas have tried it in the US or Oh, not? that's right. I remember that text now. Yeah, you were basically like why would we be dumping money into something? Do do we have a use case where it actually did work? Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't know one way or the other. It doesn't it it doesn't pass my my morality test but like now I have to take money by force from someone else to to give somebody else a living. I don't I don't like that concept. But now, if we leave that aside, we can go the, the efficacy argument, does it work? Does it, like, what, so it, with regard to universal basic income, what problem is it meant to solve exactly? So, uh, so I know Andrew, and I, I think I know his policy fairly well. I don't want to speak authoritatively for him, but it, basically it's what he's calling it a freedom dividend. And basically what it's meant to do is take the, the foot off the neck of people so that if they were trying to do good for themselves, but that they, they weren't able to, this gives them a little bit of leeway to take that extra class, get a slightly better job, um, study some more, and basically elevate themselves. So he is a he is an entrepreneur. He's a CEO. Like he's um, created thousands of jobs. Like he's a he's a capitalist right? But he's kind of like me in the sense that he wants to use capitalism for liberal goals. So he's basically saying, give everyone $1,000. Uh, regardless, there's no stipulations on it. You can decline it if you want, but there's no stipulation on it. And if you're already receiving other money, once you receive the $1,000, you stop receiving the other money. So um, a lot of people will do that because it's just simpler. Um, and then the idea is you, you go to school, you better yourself. I, I, you know, it's funny, I, I just recall that one of the ways I kind of was researching the concept was, uh, do you know the, the name Milton Friedman, you know, Friedman? Yes, yes, um, absolutely. He talked about, you didn't use the words universal basic income. He had a slightly different um, model, which I was really shocked by someone like him. Um, he actually had a, what he classified as a negative income tax. Yeah, I saw that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll, I'll butcher the definition. So maybe if you would know the concept better, go ahead and explain the concept of negative income tax and how it's similar or different than UBI. No, I, I can't remember the details, but it's, it is nuanced uh, in, in its difference. It's something like, yeah, I, I don't want to butcher it either. It, it's something like if you make a certain amount, um, you don't get the money, but if you're trying and making less, you get that amount. Some, something like that. And it, yeah. it, it puts an incentive there's a financial incentive component to it, which I was liking much better than a no strings attached model. It's not, it, it, it's kind of like, I don't necessarily like the kind of just giving money to people for basically no reason whatsoever. Um, yeah. But if it's tied to some type of incentives, you know, I could see that one actually working. But I, yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. And the reason Milton Friedman liked it is because it eliminated so much bureaucracy. Um, because rather than having all these different wealth, welfare plans and these different, you know, stipends and this and that, like you would just get this one flat amount and then it would be up to you. I mean, in his video where he talks about it, he's like, look, this is your choice. You, um, the government doesn't tell you how to spend this. You decide how to spend it. Um, so, and Andrew was talking about that as well. Um, so, and he brings it up quite a bit. So the other one to answer your question about it, uh, an example of it working is Alaska has had it for 
I think Andrew said like 36 or 37 years. Oh yeah, they, they get the oil subsidy for everybody that's a resident of the state. Yeah, absolutely. So Andrew's move on this is basically the oil money. Somebody's becoming a billionaire with this money. Let's take a portion and give it to the people. And Andrew's move is technology is making people billionaires. And it's also going to be automating away jobs. So why not take a portion of that and give it to the people so they, and give them the freedom, that's why he calls it freedom dividend, to do what they want with it to make themselves better. Yeah, I don't. If there's a if there's a natural resource that technically belongs to all of us, one is like Alaska, right? Like, uh, why are the residents of the state getting all of it and paying like an oil company a fee to to pump it out for them? Like, why 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 are Alaska? <laughs> we we just want we're just going to take ten percent. You take the ninety. Why isn't it the other way around? No, that's really funny. Like, I I was thinking about that the other day. It's like um, oil is sun stored in dinosaur bones and like who owns sunlight that's hitting the planet it, it's really strange well I it's, mean, if, if it hit the planet in california or alaska whoever owns alaska i guess would own it <laughs> yeah i guess i guess if you have that land and like i own the sunlight that's here but it's a little bit strange like if you're a king and you own the whole planet but um, yeah, I don't, I don't understand how it's in Alaska. It's a part, it's a U.S. state, but the resources there have been given or sold and all, and all the profits go to a company. That's weird. Like somebody's a really shit negotiator. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 they're the ones finding it and pulling it out of the ground. So I guess the people, the regular people don't have the equipment to pull it out of the ground. So they're saying, I guess we own this because we extracted it and refined it. Oh, no, no, it's fine. But like, okay, so we, the people here, we don't know how to find it. We don't want to mine it. We don't want to find it. We don't want to sell it. But there should still be a better negotiating point. Like, I bet you they could have got somebody at a much better deal to go find it, mine it, process it, and do a rev share. Oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I totally. mean, somebody would, you know, should have negotiated a better deal. Yep. But, uh, but back to our, our, our main point for uh, um, a, a universal uh, basic income. I just like the incentives component of Milton Friedman's idea. I'd have to, I'd have to study it more. But with respect to, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on, on the name again, the, the politician you mentioned. Uh, Andrew Yang. Yeah, yeah Andrew Yang. Um, is this going to cost us more money? Like, are we going to need to raise taxes to do this? It, 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 yeah, so it's similar to the oil thing. So it's going to cost more money. The money's going to come from profits in the tech industry. Um, so like autonomous cars, like basically very large billionaire type companies. That's what I understand. I'm not hundred percent sure. Has someone done the, done the math to see if it holds up? Yeah. I mean, if, if we have to give a thousand dollars to every man, woman, and child, so to speak, you just, that gives you a top line number. And then, yeah, yeah, he did that. He did that. They, his team did that. It's, it's something with a T it's like a million with a T. So it's definitely in the trillions, but, um, but it's also cutting out a lot of the other programs for people who did receive it. Oh, that, okay. yeah. If there's a, if there's a, if it's a, if it's an, if it's net flat or down, you know, as far as budgetarily, yeah, it's probably worth a shot. And what, what no, are, it's, it's not net flat. It's still going to cost a whole, whole lot. Um, well, yeah, I think, I think the cost is still going to be a, something trillion. 
one of the earlier conversations, like you kind of agree that in government right now in the US, we have massive spending inefficiencies. So yep. I'm very consistent on a net budgetary ad without doing the necessarily a budget efficiency. Like I don't like that at all. Like you want more of my money to have some amount of it be spent inefficiently and you don't want to do the mental work or the sweat equity to go look at your, your own shop and like go, what things can we cut that we don't need that are less important, you know? Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Like, like I, I heard like, a, I remember reading one article way back in the day, like air can, you know, we have to, you know, we, are, we have bases and military setups in the desert in the Middle East and we're spending a billion dollars a month or something like that, a billion dollars, one to $3 billion a year just on air conditioning. It's like, <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. You know, but there's a lot of things like that. Like I was looking at the list of government programs, not the ones at the top, the ones at the bottom that are still cut, have need a lot of money. And I was like, what is this? What is yep. that? Like you can just cut all those things out. All those just, just objectively stupid programs. Yeah, absolutely. And the military budget you sent over, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, it's quite extensive and so much of that is being wasted as well. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think, you know, we, that's a whole other subject, but there's like 500 bases that we have around the world. Like we function either two ways, like imperialist, but we don't take over anything and, and policemen of the world. And I'm thinking to myself, like if we're the policemen of the world and everybody kind of likes that and that's what we want to be, why are we paying for it? Why aren't people paying us to do that? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> things like that so let me ask you this i think we're uh want to be conscious of your time but let's uh let's touch on the the hot topic uh thoughts on trump the t-word the other t-word i don't particularly care for the guy <laughs> i mean what let's, let's be more specific what, what about him um do you I mean, do you dislike the guy? Do you do you like his economic policies? Do you think he's doing anything good? What what percentage of good is he doing compared to bad? Uh, I abhor his rhetoric. The things yeah. that he does, what he's all about. I mean, I just don't care for the guy at all. Yeah. Um, his economic policies don't actually seem all that bad. At least they could have been like way worse. And I'm looking at some of the economics numbers and it's, I don't know if he's responsible for any of it, but things seem to be doing at least a little bit better. Yeah. In certain areas. So I'm like, I don't know if that's him. I don't know if his administration, I don't know if it's by happenstance or maybe holdover from Obama. I don't know. I just know he's the guy in charge. And if you want to link the office of the president to certain economic you know, differences, yeah, fine. Then he might be doing an okay job economically. Social policies, eh, what, you know, I don't know. Like, you know what I, you know, I really think I really want the election to be kind of like the NFL draft where I want to, I don't want to, as far as I can remember, we've always had a vote between the lesser of two evils. I'm sick of having only evil to vote for. Can we get yeah. somebody and like 10 people that are good? Like, like, why do we have to talk about this clown? Why don't we talk about like, how are we going to get the best and brightest to enter into politics? Like, how do we do that? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really think that's needed. Uh, the Democrats are trying. They've entered like 690 people so far. Um, it seems it seems like it. I don't know how many people, but it's far too many. Uh, Obama, Obama had an interesting analogy. He said, it looks like a circular firing squad. So basically, 
the Democrats are all going to pull the trigger and they're all going to fall over and, and Trump will be like standing off to the side and we'll just get reelected. Are, are they good though? Like, you know, like I, you know, I want the all-star quarterbacks. Are they, are they, are, are all 600 some odd people? Are they really good? Yeah. I, I don't know the actual number that, that was, that was a joke, but it's oh, yeah, yeah. whatever the number is. I just, I, yeah. It, like, no, instance, I don't, I, I think the answer is no. Um, me personally, I'm, I'm uh, liking the Yang stuff, so I'm behind Andrew Yang. But I, I think there's a few good people, but most of it's just the same old, same old. Well, and the thing is, is that I only get to ever vote for, really. I only get to vote for two people, whoever the Democrats say and whoever the Republicans say. But yep. that, that doesn't, that's not a lot of choice. And they're, and they're always terrible, like always. <laughs> yeah, I actually had that on the list to ask you about because I think like maybe a few years ago, you were like, the voting thing just seems not smart because there it doesn't seem to be a clear line between the vote and the actual outcome. Well, there, there, there doesn't, and there's no way to prove that it did anymore. It's getting worse. And, you know, yeah. we're an infosec and like, did the Russians manipulate it? Did they not? You know, yeah. that, <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, I'm from Hawaii, right? So, you know, that we have the electoral college, love it or hate it. It's what we have. And what do we have out here? Like four electoral votes or two electoral votes. Like, yeah. we're, we're not counted. Like, the election's over but before it even crosses the Pacific. So, like, what's our vote counting? Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, and then, of course, there's the people, like, in Puerto Rico and a bunch of other territories that we have who vote. Well, they don't get to vote, let alone vote and not count. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, any predictions for 2020, if you had to actu actually call it? Uh, before I say, just so, you know, if, if people ever end up listening to this. So I try to design my life around what I predict the future is going to be because I want to be able to position myself in a world that's what I think is likely to happen, not yep. necessarily what I want to happen. The world doesn't care what I think, yep. but I care very much about where I end up in that world. So I'm looking at what the Democrats are doing, what they're saying and what they're not saying. And I'm looking at what Trump is doing and what he's doing. I think right now I put my money on Trump winning. And for one reason there was, and I was caught by surprise. I would have bet any amount of money that Hillary would have won the last election. I think she was, I thought she would just preordain and then it didn't happen. He won. And it's not like, you know, we could debate about the popular vote or not, but still 50 million people voted for this guy for some reason, for yep. some reason, so many people voted for this person. And there was just that one question, why did Trump win? And mm -hmm. if the left, the Democrats don't have a really concise answer and the correct answer for why this happened, they're destined to lose the election. You've got to know why this guy won if you have any hope of beating him the next time. 100% agree. I think that's a really, really strong way of putting it. And I don't think they've found that answer, do you? Though, I, you know, Michael Moore, he's a very much a lefty. And yep. uh, he had this one video, I think it, I think I agree and it characterizes the right way, is that there's a large amount of middle America, the types of people that we've been talking about have been, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, completely disenfranchised. You know, they've, they've seen their life and their holdings dwindle from one decade and one generation to the next. And Trump represented the uh, one large big, forgive the uh, vulgarity, one large big fuck you to the system. And yep. to establishment. No one voted for him. Not really. They voted against him. They voted against the system. Mm -hmm. 
And as long as he represents an outsider, now that he's, you know, they'll still see him as the, he's not really the establishment, he's something else entirely. If yep. all the Democrats can come with is more of the same, we're the establishment, and he's just a despicable guy, they're going to lose. Yeah, I, I think you're nailing it. I, I think that's absolutely right. And I would love for them to, you know, I don't do the whole lot of political party things like that. So I just try to see who's going to win, but I would like to see the Democrats wrap their, wrap their head around that concept. Like they're going to have to beat this guy another way. The ridicule isn't working. This guy is immune to ridicule. How many times can he say he's, he's dumb and he's orange? Like yep. he, that's not, he's, that's not going to influence him to, to do anything that you like. You know, he's just going to dig in on his way of the world because well, you're insulting. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I think that's why I like Andrew Yang is that he's not, he's also not fighting the same way that other people fight. He's going pure concept and pure idea and with actual, actually tons of policy. So he's actually policy heavy. He's got good ideas. Um, I, I think he has a, a, a relatively low chance of winning just because of the bureaucracy and everything. Like I feel like the big players have this massive advantage for whatever reason. But um, I, I think your read is, is exactly correct on it. Basically, if they can't figure out Trump, then they can't expect to beat him. Let's actually talk about that. Cause I, I think, you know, how did, you know, I, the way I read the news, and I'm, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but Bernie should have won, but they cheated the guy. Is that, that pretty much what the Democrats did? That's what I heard. Yeah. And the DNC or whatever. Yeah. So at the first hurdle for any Democrat, and I, I assume, uh, um, Andrew Yang is a Democrat. Yes. Um, how I, the question? Like, if you know the guy, I would ask him: Is if if the DNC is going to preordain a you know preordain and cheat? Like, one, why is he in the party? Maybe he has to be the way the system works. And did the DNC say we're sorry we cheated? We're not going to cheat this time. Like, how does he pass that first hurdle just to get on, just to get treated fairly in the DNC? Like, how does he do that? No, that's a great point. And actually, it's really funny in the media right now, like the extreme left media, he's being attacked as a white supremacist. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm like, are you it kidding me? Bang. No, no, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, I wrote a piece a while back called lupus liberalism, where it's like, you have an immune system, and it does a good job, but then it starts attacking itself. And that's what I feel like the left is doing. So they're taking this guy who is super good hearted and trying to do the right thing and they're just maligning him. So to your point, I'm not sure he's going to be blessed by the establishment. But what do they get to? Like how are, how does anybody call themselves a Democrat now and not feel ashamed? Like they cheated. Yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely. <laughs> like, you know, you agree with their policies, don't agree that you still cheated. <laughs> like, so you better be really sure the person you pick can beat this guy. Otherwise, it's going to be another four years of the nightmare you say we're living through. Yep, 100%. Um, well, this has been fantastic, man. Any, any parting thoughts? If, actually, could we cover just one, one more issue? Yeah, totally. Sure. Okay. Um, minimum wage and a, livel, and a living wage comes up a lot in my life. Okay. And I recently had the, this, uh, just a very short Twitter thread on it. And wow, the, the bars came out in full force. And Again, I'm more free market, more libertarian. I don't like government involving itself in a private negotiation. So I'm against 
any kind of minimum wage whatsoever. I would make it like nothing. I would remove mm. it. And my first experience with minimum wage probably colored that a great deal. So I would think that was like, I think I was just entering high school. I was like 15 or 16. And I wanted, there was a number in my head of the amount of money I could make. It was like, you know, fifth, like $10 an hour. I was like, man, if I made $10 an hour, I'd make like 50 to $80 a day. Imagine all the cool magic cards I could buy with that. You know, like that yep. was like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then I was, you know, I, like, just like any kid, this is like, you know, just starting of the web. I was looking around, looking at the newspapers, like trying to find a job. And I found my local ISP, you know, had a job opening, opening for a sysadmin. And I was like, I don't know what it paid, but it's probably more than $10 an hour. And I really like computers and I know I can learn what they do. And so I go down there and I interview with the hiring manager and I go, I use computers. I know HTML, I know JavaScript, all this kind of cool stuff. And he goes, well, you, you don't have any experience. I don't know if you know this job and we, we kind of need somebody that really knows what they're doing. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Give me like three weeks, give me a month. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll learn it. Now I'll show up early every day. I'll work my ass off because I just can't take a risk on it. And I said, I'll tell you what, I will work for you for free for a month and just to learn, just to prove myself. Cause I know once I get in there, you're not going to, you're not going to let me leave. Right? Like you'll, you'll see what I'm about. And he goes, I would love to, but I can't. I was like, what do you mean you can't? Well, there's minimum wage thing. Like I have to pay oh. you at least this thing. And, you know, in, in so many words, you're not worth it. And I was crushed. I'm like, yeah. oh, this, there's this law that I never had anything to do with that was preventing me from learning and getting a job and proving myself. Like that was my first experience with minimum wage. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a powerful example. And yeah, I, I have um, read a ton about this. Uh, the, the Seattle thing came out as being against minimum wage, then they reversed it. I just read uh, Tom Sowell's book. I just saw Tom Sowell on Ben Shapiro's podcast, and they talked about minimum wage. I think the consensus is sort of falling down on the side of it really uh, is bad for people who are trying to get in the market, just as you described. It really hurts them. And for the lucky few who win the lottery, who are in the market, they do a, a bit better. So it's like, how do you do the economics to find out which one of those is better overall? Yeah, it's, it's probably going to be tough. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I've had to take chances on p people, but uh, like, you know, I would probably take, have taken on more interns and help more people just to see who's who and who wants to be there. Um, but the minimum wage laws, actually, I've had a pass on a number of otherwise people I would have bet a little bit on because of minimum wage. Like, I, I can't pay you this. You're, you're just not worth it. I'll lose money. And I'm, I'm not sure it's a worth gamble. But hey, tell you what, if you want to work for me for a month, three months over the summer, and I can see what you're about, hey, it might be a job at the end of the rainbow. But I, I could never find out. Even if they wanted to take the deal, they couldn't. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. And if you, I think if you look backwards, you had like the apprentice journeyman type situation. I feel like some part of that equation was people working basically for free to, to learn their stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you, it's it back, back to martial arts, right? Like, uh, you know, I learned from the master and yep. that's my lineage. I learned from that blacksmith. I learned from that carpenter. I don't know like when that went away, but it certainly went away. And it might be at the same time that minimum wage came about. Hmm. 
Interesting. But uh, anyway, but yeah, when I mentioned that on Twitter, it's uh, man, the the barbs came out because like, you know, somehow I I don't think someone was um, owed a living wage or enough to support themselves. Like, no, it's really not about that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I do see their point, but it's not the point you were making. It's like, how many people are you excluding? You put up this barrier that people can't even get in. What if they're a super A player and they're going to change the world, but now they can't even get started? Yeah, it was it was, it was just a, a a very weird thing. It was, you know, they're, they're talking about like it, I'm going to assume their side is well intended. They they support minimum wage because they're well intended. They want to see everybody do better. They want to protect them against a greedy, self-serving business person. I, I you know I get it, but I was firing back with just a night like a story just like I did with you here. Like yeah, but your your law that you propose hurt me. Like right, you, you have a better idea that does what you want it to do that doesn't hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just such a strange climate. Like you're crazy for even putting that on Twitter, <laughs> like <laughs> because man, oh, it is hostile out there right now. Because you you'll get mail that'll be like, oh, I used to love you when you're in web security, and now all this stuff has gone sideways. <laughs> well, um, I could I could say that I've never paid anybody minimum wage in my life. This is how I've I've always had the type of work that uh, I pay have to pay people a lot of money and make it really place yeah. to work. But yeah. uh, I just I think like when there's two million or whatever it is, um, open uh, unfilled infosec jobs, I'm like, can you guys get all the regulations out of the way because that's a lot of money to be made there. If I can figure out how to you know make a few thousand new infosec people, let me and get out of my way. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, I wrote a piece about that, basically saying there are no entry level infosec positions because there's this massive disconnect between people are trying to find infosec jobs and they can't find them. You talk to the hiring managers, they can't find people. And it's because there's this giant gap in the middle. You solve that by taking in super early people and training them. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, you know, especially for California that uh, California got so expensive, so tax heavy, the regulatory burden was so heavy that we stopped hiring in California and started hiring in Houston. And then mm -hmm. for economic reasons, had to open up shop in Ireland and that had all kinds of incentives. You know, I, I just, I'm always looking for this, 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 the state or the area that makes it easy on me. I want to go to the easiest place possible. I don't, I don't want it to work any harder than I have to. Yeah. 100%. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just weird. Like, you know, if you come out against, against something like they're thinking that you're an evil person and you, you know, like, no, <laughs> it's kind of the opposite. Yeah, no, it's, that's the climate we're in right now. You say the wrong thing and they just, the bad faith is super magnified. They just assume you're the worst person. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, not. I, I don't necessarily want to kill your idea. I'm telling you like there's a flaw in your idea and this is how it's impacting me. Can we at least talk about that? And maybe you can hone your idea a little bit better. So it doesn't, <laughs> but yep. it's all just dogma. I think what happens is you kind of expose their ignorance a little bit and they don't like it. Meaning, like they just wanted to support one side or what their friends believe or what their school believe or whatever. And they don't really know all the details of their, even their own idea that they're voicing. And that if you ask one deeper question, they kind of short out just doing lack of education and no one likes to be made to feel ashamed. I think that might be one of the things that's going on, but I don't know. No, I think you're definitely right. I mean, Twitter is, it just makes everything a performance on top of a discussion. 
on top of a debate. So it's like, even if they wanted to agree with you now, they can't because people are liking your thing and making them look bad. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I, I, I'd like to think that I would not self-moderate, but I got to be honest, I do self-moderate a lot. I just think a lot of my ideas are listed in this climate. A lot of people would find just plainly objectionable. And I'm so like, okay, I'll keep them to myself and I'll continue living my life and making the, the impact that I can without telling anybody. <laughs> well, no, and that's what you've been doing for years. Like I, our conversations over the last few years, you've had these ideas and you've been cautious about it. And I think over just seeing the climate change and some life changes, you're finally deciding, you know what, people need to hear this. And it's good that we were able to do it here in a, in a friendly way. It, it went exactly the way that I was hoping it was going to go. I, I think it was a good conversation. Yep. We didn't, we didn't uh, want to kill each other. So that's cool. Yeah. Tell, tell each other Nazis and fascists and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, um, let's, let's definitely do it again. I really enjoyed it. Uh, same here, man. Definitely. Whenever you want. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsupervised Learning. And don't forget that the show is both a podcast and a newsletter. So you can get more information about everything you just heard by subscribing to the newsletter or reading the blog posts for each episode. Also keep in mind that I do the show weekly, but if you're not a member, you're currently only getting every other odd-numbered episode. And if you want to get every episode of the podcast and newsletter, you can become a member at danielmeisler.com slash subscribe for less than a latte per month. Being a member will also get you access to the subscriber area of the site, which is the home for all previous member episodes, as well as other types of premium and experimental content. I'll see you next time.